Hi, everyone. This is Gideon Fiddles. I'm Magic Editor of PR Week. It is my pleasure to welcome you to this very special podcast sponsored by Padilla. Much gratitude to them for doing so. Our session today will focus on why brand growth cannot happen without PR. Historically, PR communications pros have had nominal input in corporate brand development, if any at all. That has to change. And it has changed for some brands who understand that corporate communications and reputation management is central to and even drives that process. But far too often, companies bring in PR partners at the last minute, right before their brand launch. It's time to reset the C-suite's expectations of the role and value of corporate branding and as one that's essential versus being an afterthought. Clearly articulating why in-house strategic communicators have earned a seat, perhaps even the head seat at the table is critical. It's also time to refine what brand is to employees, investors, and community members. That's why we're here on this very special podcast presented by Padilla in partnership with PR Week. And speaking of special, that is a perfect word for the three terrific leaders who are joining me for this special discussion. Kirsty Foster, SVB of Marcoms at CHS Inc., Sarah Robertson, VP of Comms and CSR at Purdue Pharma, and Matt Kaharski, president of Padilla. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be here. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Kirsty. I've really been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. So, you know, let's just get right to it. What defines a corporate brand is very different today than it was a few years ago, dare I say, even 20 months ago. Assuming you all agree with that statement, I'd love to give each of you the floor to discuss what a strong corporate brand is in 2021 and how the components of that are different than ever before. I've got, I could go to any one of the three of you and be very, very happy with that. But uh, I flipped a coin beforehand and Sarah, it came out you. So I'll start with you. <laughs> All right. Well, lucky me and maybe lucky for Matt and Kirsty because I'm actually going to take this from a different angle uh, and argue that there's a lot that actually hasn't changed about brand. Brand is made up of multiple parts, your purpose, your governance, your visual identity, what others say about you and your employee value proposition, just to name a few. But what hasn't changed, the foundation of it all, always, whether it's 20 years ago or 20 months ago, is action. And these are the actions that businesses take that create how people experience you and the people who make up your organization. So in the quick surface restaurant business, this could be like in the store when you go and order order your coffee. It could be at the corporate level in customer service, in a pharma company, it could be an interaction with a medical science liaison. Whatever the experience is, that experience is driven by a set of actions and the strongest brands match those actions to their purpose and then they articulate through your PR team, through the corporate communications team, not what you plan to do, but what you have done to live that purpose. Brands grow or decline based on action, and that's never changed. What has changed is expectations of society and employees and other stakeholders. And I'd point you to some great opinion pieces by uh, journalist Joe Nocera, which gives great summary on society's expectation of CEOs. And here's where communications also plays a really critical role, right? It's, it's the CEO actions and what they say is a major part of the brand. Um, and we play a key role with our CEOs. Terrific way to start this end up. So some things have changed and some things have not changed, but things that have changed, that's important now. And Christy, I'm going to let you follow up on that. Thank you, Gideon. Uh, I've seen an evolution in both brand 
corporate brand and reputation during the course of my career. And I think it's important to understand that brand and reputation are certainly not one and the same, but they need to work together to drive your company's business. Brand is really your relevance in the competitive marketplace, while reputation is your credibility and most importantly, signifies trust. You can advertise your way to a strong brand, but you can't advertise your way to a strong reputation. MIT Sloan published an article way back in 2008 that I've been citing to my company leaders for years, and I think it's still relevant today, saying that your brand is a customer-centric concept that focuses on what a product, service, or company has promised to its customers, while reputation is more company-centric, it focuses on your credibility and respect as an organization, and involves a very broad set of stakeholders, including employees, investors, regulators, journalists, local communities, as well as your customers. So the biggest change that I've seen in the importance of corporate brand over the past year even is it's important in the war for talent. There's a shortage of workers across every industry in America. We've all seen it in our own workplaces and how difficult it can be to even get a cup of coffee at Starbucks because they're short-staffed. Both brand and reputation are more important than ever before in recruiting employees. People want to work for respected brands that they can talk about with their friends and family and that they admire as customers. At CHS, we have operations all over North America in big cities and in small towns. We have truck drivers and we have our corporate headquarters here in Minnesota. The problem is, is unless you're a farmer or work in the agriculture industry, nobody knows what we do. CHS is the best kept secret in agriculture. We're a Fortune 100 company. We're the leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. But very few people know our company and our brand, and how can we recruit top talent if that's the case? So we're working on an employer brand strategy now aimed at increasing our brand awareness and positioning CHS as a great place to work, not only here in Minnesota where we're headquartered, but in key markets where we operate. And I believe that building our corporate brand is the first step we have to take before we can market ourselves as a great place to work. Two things, Kirsty. First of all, one, I love the way you brought the employee brand into that conversation. That's always been so important, but in the last 20 months, 20, you know, I lose count of how many months it is already. It's about 21 <laughs> months at this point, right? Since last March. Um, the, the importance of the employee has obviously grown exponentially. So it's really important that you mention that. And too, by the way, everyone out there, really a lot of credit to Kirsty. She's a little bit under the weather today and she's <laughs> being a real trooper and she's being brilliant. My God, if you're hundred percent healthy, I can only imagine what you'd say, but that was pretty good. <laughs> Matt, Thank you. I'm powering Matt, through. You absolutely are. Matt, not, too, not the easiest acts to follow, but I know you, my friend, and I know you can follow it quite well. So Matt, it's your turn. I just appreciate that Kirsty stayed home and followed, you know, our new policies with regard to, you know, if you're sick, stay home kind of, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> I guess there's one benefit to this, right? It's, it's great to be here and great to be on a panel with, with Kirsty and Sarah. And we've known each other, um, uh, Sarah, less, le- less so. We've only about a couple of years, but Kirsty I've known for quite a while. And we do all have very similar points of view on what it takes to have a corporate brand. And it's, it's not a case where, the the concepts have changed but the understanding of them definitely has i mean if you think about it back you know brand has always been about promise of experience right um and uh, but the understanding of brand as promise experience you know many many years ago was very much limited to 
what the customers was experiencing around the product and service. But that understanding has changed significantly uh, in two ways. One is understanding that that promise of experience for a customer is the entire life cycle of that experience from the first moment all the way to the, the purchase of the product, to service, to renewal, to referral. There's there's a much more of a, of a long tail with regard to what that experience looks like. And second is that it's, it's migrated from products and services to corporate brand, um, which is bringing in the stakeholders that Kirstie and Sarah talked about, employees, investors, communities, both, uh, both um, local communities and industries. And that's a much more holistic look at, at, brand, at that brand experience. And certainly what's happened over the past 20 months is not only has that concept of experience changed, but we've needed to change the experience. And what the expectation is in the c- consumer environment and in, in the employee environment, we're redefining it. And that means there needs to be a new communication of that expectation of experience because it's different than what it was 20, 20 months ago. And thank you for that, Matt. You know, this actually segues really well into the next question I have for all three of you, and it's a very direct one. What does PR uniquely bring to the corporate brand development that other disciplines either don't or can't? And you know what? Might as well just go in reverse order because I think that makes some sense, right? So, Matt, I'm going to let you answer that one first. Well, you know, we, there's a reason why our firm has a brand consulting division. It's because of a recognition that uh, that brand, that brand, that concept of brand has transformed. I think what PR brings to the table more than anything else is a, a true understanding of multiple stakeholders um, and, and the interconnection between um, customers, whether it's B2B, B2C, or the supply chain, which we sometimes forget about the experience extends to the supply chain, and then customers, employees, investors. And as I mentioned earlier, you have two different kinds of community. You've got the, the local community for many organizations, but you also have the industry community as well, whether that's peers, whether that's competitors, um, and, 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 and our understanding and PR of the interconnections between those different stakeholder groups is essential to building a strong corporate brand. Uh, thank you for that, Matt. I, was, I know you, a lot of you can't see that, but a lot of, there was a lot of nodding of heads going on while Matt was saying that. It's just so true. Kirsty, I always tell my business partners that PR adds the third-party credibility to any brand or marketing campaign in a way that nothing else can do. You can advertise anything you want, but people know it comes from the company, whereas PR involves other people talking about you, which comes with a much higher level of credibility and trust. And the Edelman Trust Barometer always cites messaging from company leaders or companies themselves as the least credible. And the most credible messengers are company employees or people like myself. And PR brings us value not only through media and bloggers, but through influencer partnerships as well. At CHS, I'm the Senior Vice President of Marketing Communications, and this is the first company I've worked for that has these two disciplines in a single integrated team. CHS launched a phenomenal brand campaign that is currently in its third year, and the focus is the power of cooperative ownership. And our goal is to retain our next generation farmers as customers and owners. So these are the millennial and Gen Z farmers who are taking over the family farm and may want to do things differently than their parents. And this brand campaign is such a beautiful blend of public relations and marketing. We have an integrated paid media plan on a national scale, a content partnership with a national agriculture radio network, traditional media relations, owned content, social media, video, 
And we interviewed our next generation owners to create a brand persona for our next gen farmers to understand who they are, what they want in a cooperative partner that may be different than their parents and an understanding of how they view co-ops like CHS. In the marketing team, work closely with our strategy team, our customer insights team to make sure that the campaign is aligned across our businesses. And, you know, I think the next critical phase of our brand campaign that involves this third-party credibility is engagement with influencers. And you don't typically see that so much on more of a B2B uh, relationship, but there's one influencer that I'm really inspired by in Northern Minnesota called the Millennial Farmer. And he actually makes more money on his YouTube channel than he does operating his farm. He has 860,000 subscribers and many of his videos have over a million views. So clearly something like this is a great opportunity for a company like CHS as part of an integrated brand campaign to uh, build that trust and credibility. The millennial farmer. I'll have to check that out. Is there a Gen Z farmer too? Not that I know of, but maybe we could create that. Yeah, that might be an interesting idea. Sarah, as I told Matt in the first round, it's never easy following two really good answers, but I know you're up to it. So Sarah, what say you? All right, thank you. I think what's unique is that PR professionals have their hands in everything. Um, We're the hunter-gatherers, we're the curators of those interconnections and those insights. And we take pieces of information, we stitch them together. We take decisions and actions and we translate them into what is relatable and understandable content with common threads. When we do our jobs right, we weave this fantastic tapestry of truth that becomes the foundation of our brands. Brand is forged by action and experiences, but PR articulates them, the good and the bad. We don't fix mistakes. We don't change actions, but we work to connect people to actions, to to bring people to a place where they can relate to and understand them. And so I believe PR is the connective tissue and, and so is your brand. Very much appreciate that. And that is everything that all of you said is so in line with what has been a fairly common belief over the last year and a half or so that communications, one of the positives, if you want to say that about the period that we've been through is the role and the perception of the importance of communication within brands. And I think that is a wonderful opportunity now for comms PR to get involved in the brand building brand and reputation building process more than they ever have before. So it's all very, very exciting. We've now reached the point of the podcast where I'm going to start individualizing the questions a little bit because all three of our speakers um, have very, very interesting perspectives and things are going on with all of them, which I think are going to lend to this conversation quite well. So Sarah and Kirsty, one of the reasons I'm so excited to be speaking to the two of you about this is the unique situations you are both in and how that certainly makes your efforts in brand development intriguing. Sarah, I'm going to start with you. You work at a company in transition. It's a branding and a rebranding job in some ways. As much as you can share, please talk about how you are tackling one of the most unique branding challenges any comms leader could be in. Being in transition is the most exciting opportunity for a PR professional. The opportunity to chart a new path forward is why I joined Purdue Pharma in the first place. Um, So I'm going to give you a little bit of context about that company situation and through there weave in how we're tackling the, the the branding challenge. So Purdue has been in Chapter 11 bankruptcy since 2019. 
the, the plan of reorganization has overwhelming support from more than 95% of our creditors, including 43 states and territories. And there's also a handful of claimants representing about one one hundredth of the total claimants in the case that have appealed the plan's confirmation. And we're working through the appeals process now. So a little about the plan, because that's important to the, the branding rebranding that you set up. Um, the plan would pave the way for billions in value to be delivered to communities specifically for the abatement of the opioid crisis. So pending rulings on the appeals, essentially all of Purdue Pharma's assets would be transferred to a new company with a public-minded mission. And that's a company that would apply scientific and technical knowledge to develop and distribute needed and approved medicines and products, including opioid addiction treatment and opioid reversal medicines. So where we're at right now is we're managing a current brand, Purdue Pharma, and preparing to establish a new brand for the new company. And the way we're tackling both goes back to collaboration, curation, and action. So in our current state, we're talking about the actions our people are taking to drive forward a plan that will allow us to emerge and flow value to communities. We're talking about the actions we take to deliver approved medicines and products. We're talking about the actions we're taking to uh, advance a pipeline of products that once approved will, among other things, help address the opioid crisis. And we're also preparing for what we hope will be our future, uh, creating a, a new brand uh, through our plan for the new company, which is called NOAA Pharma. So the naming process of that new company was a collaborative process led by communications, I'm, I'm happy to say, uh, with significant support from our external stakeholders, legal, commercial, and business operations. And the name was really chosen to foreshadow those planned actions. The name was purposefully chosen to connote the knowledge that we'll leverage and to invoke our primary purpose, national opioid abatement. So here's where I'm gonna tell you how NOAA is spelled, K-N-O-A, NOAA Pharma. So it's the PR team that curates the knowledge and the actions and drives the collaboration and then articulates all of that, weaves that tapestry of truth. It's the foundation of a brand, whether it's for us, our current state or our future. Okay, I am really, really glad I asked that because that was a wonderful example of branding and rebranding in a very challenging situation. And uh, thank you for explaining how Noah came to be. That's really, really, that was really very interesting. Kirsty, now I'm coming over to you. So as we speak today, you are about two months into your role at CHS. And when looking at your impressive career, the breadth of sectors you have worked in is quite intriguing. In your last three jobs, you went from General Mills to Blue Cross Blue Shield to CHS a large agribusiness cooperative, as you explained before. What brand building similarities are you able to tap into from your previous roles to help CHS? And what are some of the unique brand building challenges you are encountering working in a sector that is huge, but perhaps not as broadly understood or even appreciated? Sure. Well, when I made the switch from General Mills to Blue Cross, I was actually very surprised at how many experiences that I had in the food industry effectively crossed over to health insurance. And I really was not expecting that. Health insurance companies are not really known for being consumer friendly. And my goal in taking the job was to take what I had learned about engaging consumers at General Mills and apply it to the health insurance industry. And the rules of brand and reputation building are really the same no matter where you go. You have to understand your customer, 
create unique, timely, and engaging and useful content, and then focus on the right channels. And so one of the first campaigns we launched at Blue Cross was a campaign on the three golden rules of health insurance at the beginning of the year when many people were getting new plans. And we used media, social media, paid media to let our consumers know that we understand health insurance is complicated and that we are there to help them. The next set of campaigns we actually did with Padilla were focused on diabetes, which is the biggest driver of healthcare costs. And we launched consumer brand campaigns to help people understand that they can prevent or reverse diabetes through diet and exercise and positioned your health insurer as your partner in your health journey, not just someone who pays or denies your healthcare claims. And that was really new for the health insurance industry. And it was really new for Blue Cross and Blue Shield. At CHS, our customers and our owners are the priority stakeholder group for us. In addition to the brand campaign that I talked about earlier, we also hold in-person events throughout the year with our leadership. In fact, we're just coming off of our annual owners meeting in Minneapolis here with about 1,200 of our owners. We also reach our owners through social media, paid media. We have a quarterly magazine that is sent out, relationships with agriculture media, But again, no matter what the industry, it's all about understanding your customer, creating timely and engaging content, and focusing on the right channels. And our brand is really strong with our owners. But as I said earlier, we need to make sure other stakeholders know who CHS is and the value that we bring that ultimately results in the products that everyone purchases in grocery stores. That includes prospective employees, business partners, suppliers, community organizations, NGOs. And this is all very similar to the work that I did with General Mills, taking a company and turning it into a branded house instead of a siloed house of brands in order to gain trust and credibility across all of our stakeholders. And just like General Mills, this is certainly an opportunity I see for CHS and something um, that I have my eye on in the near future. Thank you so so much for that, Kirsty. It's always interesting to see someone like you who comes from some disparate sectors and how it kind of really does all blend together. That's always very interesting Mm -hmm. to me. Now, Matt, you have counseled so many clients in your storied career. Can you share with us an example of one client who was significantly boosted by comms' help? And I know you could probably rattle off 100, but... You knew I was going to ask this beforehand, so hopefully you do yeah, the have one the one client. The one client thing is so tough, Gideon. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, you know um, we've helped uh, companies like Winnebago, uh, like Polaris, like Rockwell Automation, um, and many others. But uh, I want I want I want to put a caveat on that because if you buy into everything we've talked about in this podcast, literally everything we're, the three of us are doing is every every day is helping build, grow, and protect that brand and that reputation. But what I do think that is is really important is to think through that, you know, in, in comms, we're not boosting the brand. What we're doing is we're helping transform the brand. And, and, and that is something that I've seen as a common theme over the past probably two or three years is how many times we're being called upon to help a company use its corporate brand as to facilitate a transformation. And I'm thinking of three different examples, actually four different examples, an industrial automation company, a B2B distribution company, a personal um, recreation company, a camping and outdoor equipment company, and others where what we're doing is those companies had been defined by a specific flagship product. 
And what they need to do is they need, as they've expanded, they've grown, they've transformed, they need to define the corporation as something beyond just its, its flagship product. Um, and and that's, that's really, really important. And, you know, a good example would be Winnebago, um, which, you know, we all know the classic Winnebago, you know, RV, but Winnebago has towables. They have super high-end machines. They make specialty bloodmobile vehicles. Uh, they have boats. And the corporation Winnebago has become so much broader than that individual product. How do you define a corporate brand um, that is the, the, the organization and still maintain that integrity in the specific product? We're doing that a whole lot these days, Gideon, is, is delineating between the product experience and the corporate experience. Matt, thank you for answering that question much better than I asked it. <laughs> that, no, that's that, all right. It's a, it's a hard question because there's a, you know, the one client thing or the one organization um, is really, really tough because there are so many different dimensions to this that communications professionals can play into. Yeah. And it, I, I, I suppose it's also like asking a parent who their favorite child is. I mean, that might not have been the fairest thing, but you know, the one thing I certainly will take away from that though, which I think is really important is, you know what? I love what you said about how PR helps transform brands, not necessarily boost them. So I think that's really, really important distinction because transforming brands is often more important and that's really great. So I appreciate that insight. Guys, this is the last question and we're gonna bring everyone back in for this one. As we enter 2022, and my God, as we record this, it's less than three weeks away, crazy. <laughs> there is still a lot of uncertainty among what our lives will look like going forward. And the impact of COVID-19 is still very visible in the business world. What challenges and or opportunities does this present Comspros as their involvement in brand development continues to increase and evolve? And boy, again, I could start with any one of you, but I'm going to go back to the original order, I think. And Sarah, I believe I started with you on the first one, so I'll start with you on this one. All right. Thank you. Well, I suspect that the way we choose to talk about vaccination mandates and on-site safety protocols is going to be a new piece of our brands and our reputations going forward. Um, but I wanna go back to something Kirsty said earlier and talk about the war for talent. The key shift I'm putting my attention on is the changing employee-employer relationship. Read any number of surveys, polls, tier one pubs, you know, from conference board, Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, they're all telling us that employees are demanding something different from their employers as a result of COVID. Um, they understand that they're employed to drive an organizational agenda, that you know, their work is to deliver something of value to someone else, but how they see their work and how they see themselves in their work is different now. Perhaps it isn't their primary identifier anymore, what they want in return is a different kind of action, which will result in a change to your brand. I mean, obviously, HR and leaders in general will have to be at the forefront of figuring this all out. You know, they need to lead this uh, great reset. I mean, that's a great phrase I'm borrowing from Derek Thompson, who's a staff writer at The Atlantic. But anytime there's an organizational reset, communications has to be in the mix. We need to contribute to the creation of real and sustainable actions that can be articulated as part of the brand. Thank you very, very much for that, uh, Kirsty. I think both the challenge and the opportunity for public relations professionals moving forward under the issues presented by COVID-19 is really to get better at managing crisis and issues 
and making sure your company is always prepared to react quickly to breaking news and staying flexible. As for brand building, I think communication leaders need to understand how the world has changed and how their customers have changed because they have changed. Everyone has changed. My favorite quote is, a desk is a dangerous place from which to view the world. That's by author John Lasser. And I think it's more important than ever for communicators and brand builders to better understand their customers and their stakeholders, meet them where they're at, have conversations with them to understand how their lives have changed, how their perspectives have changed, how their needs have changed. And I think you're going to have to do this even more now to maintain trust and credibility with the stakeholders that you serve. A desk is a dangerous place to view the world. That's a good one. Um, I love that that quote. Totally stealing that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Uh, me too. Um, uh, Kirsty Foster said that. I don't even know who said it. Kirsty Foster said it. Uh, who? Um, what about a dining room table? Don't answer that. <laughs> Matt, you're now to you. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge the, that 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 communicators need to to embrace right now is there will never be the perfect time to do things. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of leadership mindset about well, if we can just wait till X happens, or if we can just let X form. I think we need to, I think, I hate the phrase lean in because it's used so much, but I think we actually need to, you know, really power forward and just assume that the chaos and the, the distraction and the uncertainty that we're all managing through right now, it's going to be here for in some way, shape or form for quite a long time. So we may as well kind of charge forward and then be just really, really prepared to adjust and, and, and modify, but keep the, keep the end game in mind. So you know, the idea of, of waiting for it all to get better, I think we just got to get that out of our heads because I think it's preventing us from making progress and there's progress to be made. Thank you for that, Matt. And, you know, as we bring this podcast to a close, you know, the one thing I can't help but think is how the three of you have just lifted the brand of communicator up with some of your wonderful counsel today. So I do thank you for that. And that really was terrific. And Kirsty, Sarah, and Matt, I do want to thank you all so much for sharing your perspectives and taking the time from your very busy schedules to speak with me today. Thanks, of course, to Badilla for making this event possible with its support. And thanks to all of you out there for joining as well and listening in. Please don't forget to go to peerweight.com where you can check out all the terrific podcasts we have for you. And for now, this is Gideon Fiddles. I'm Magic Editor of PR, wishing you all a great rest of your day. And of course, the happiest and healthiest of holiday seasons. Thank you all so much.